0: Season 1, Episode 8.
1: You're listening to the Show Me Comic Cast. I'm Tim Pickerel, digital media producer for Show Me Comics.
0: And I'm Jordan Taylor, blaster and master of words.
1: And I'm Sam Richardson. God, you
0: cut me off. <laughs> <laughs> I use these words... For the scripts for our graphic novels and comic books, and also for our website, specifically the writer's blog on showmecomics.com.
2: And I'm Sam Richardson, lead graphic designer, illustrator, artist, penciler, colorist, and I'm very happy right now because the St. Louis Cardinals are beating the Pittsburgh Pirates 3 to nothing. Way to localize us. We're in Pittsburgh. I think <laughs> we've already done <laughs> I'm that. pretty sure that we're called Show Me Comics, and uh... That has nothing to do with us being the show-me state, I promise.
0: And you just alienated 75% of our audience by letting them know you like sports. But anyway, today... So Sam is acting like a real character, and that's what we're here to talk about is character creation. And as you can see, one of the background elements of Sam is that he grew up liking sports. So that's a part of his character. So hence, the dialogue naturally came out of him to talk about the baseball game. And that's what we're going to get at here is when... Uh, You want to develop characters for your stories. You have to do a lot of back work so that when you go to write the story and to draw the story, there's a lot of elements that are already in place that are just going to keep popping up in your story. And it's almost like the characters write themselves by that point. But you have to put that groundwork in first or you're going to be struggling and be all over the map when you're actually trying to tell your story. So, Tim... I know you're the, an aspiring writer, and you've been working on a, a fantasy novel. Maybe you can kick I us have. off here and uh, tell us about some things that you do to create your characters.
1: Um, let's see. Usually when I create my characters, I try to—it depends on the type of character I'm trying to create. I usually base a lot of characters off of like aspects of myself, and then I will just embellish them to— great detail, uh, especially with my, like, if I have like a darker side or I'm feeling a certain way, I'll be like, why do I feel this way? And how can I craft a character around those types of emotions and have him really embody that?
0: So you do a lot of self-examination when it comes to. Trying to divide that up into to characters. I do a
1: lot of self examination. I'm kind. I'm fairly. I don't want to say bipolar because I'm not bipolar, but I definitely have a lot of different aspects to myself that contradict the way I think at any given moment. So there's always a lot of dialogue going on in my head every and any given moment. All right, Sam, go ahead and get a hotline number for Tim that we can give
0: him after the show. He said he he has a lot of voices and said, "Uh, "No, but seriously, I'm Randy Orton." (laughs) If any writer tells you that there's no bit of themselves and their characters they're full of it um however on the opposite end of that spectrum is characters are writers that produce characters that it's almost the same flavor of cheesecake with just a different berry topping on it you know it's the basically the same thing with just this little uh thinly veiled cover-up and uh, there's a writing term that people will throw around to to basically talk smack to other writers called, oh, you're being a Mary Sue. Have you guys ever heard of that?
1: Um, I haven't. Actually, maybe I have, but I didn't know the context of it.
0: Okay, so uh, a Mary Sue character is a character that's basically like wish fulfillment kind of a thing. Like, oh, I um, really like to swim, but I'm a terrible swimmer. I'm going to make a character who's... An awesome swimmer you know and they could swim across the english channel they could swim from cuba to florida which someone recently just did and she's awesome but uh they'll do that kind of like a wish fulfillment and they'll uh, so when people start reading that story and then they find out that that's what you're into they'll be like oh you're this is a little bit of a mary sue don't you think
1: okay i gotcha
0: um so that's a danger you want to watch out for when you're using yourself in characters however at the same time anybody that tells you that there's none of yourself in the character they're lying because they come from your mind it's it's all every single character you create is a part of you sure. i should be writing notes <laughs> i don't have a steno book but yeah. what i do have in front of me and this is the time or I'm going to uh, alienate myself from the rest of society by telling you that I played Dungeons and Dragons as a youth.
1: Okay. Um,
2: oh, I will. Well, no, you just captured back the 75% that I lost to the sports <laughs> reference.
1: Right. You just got them
2: all back. That was part of my plan. But
0: I will uh, add to that yes, I do have a wife and two kids. So uh, obviously, it didn't hinder me in any way if that's what you're thinking. Wait, you
1: do or your character does?
0: What's it? Both.
1: <laughs> I have a level three wife.
0: <laughs> Not only am I a Mary Sue, I have a Mary Sue. So that, <laughs> there you go. But no. Any. In all seriousness, playing Dungeons and Dragons as a kid and a teenager and everything like that taught me a lot about writing, but especially character creation. And for those audience members out there who've never played the game before. Uh, Essentially what it is, is storytelling. You get together with a group of friends and you guys create a story together. Uh, It was good practice even for something like this, where we're all sitting around creating a a podcast together, trying to tell you guys a story uh, about how to make comics. But when the group wasn't together, there was only so many ways you could engage in the game just by yourself. One of those was to create characters, thinking, oh, hey, next time we play the game, I would like to be you know, this uh, half-elf character who uses a mace. And you would just get that idea in your head, and then you pull out a character sheet, which I have in front of me. And the character sheet was almost like a guide on how to create characters. And it taught me a lot about it. And I think, ultimately, I'm not going to try to get you too much into Dungeons & Dragons, uh, but what it did was... It developed a method for creating characters in my head where you come up with the concept of the character first and then you work backwards to ask yourself, okay, what events in this character's past led up to them being what they are today? Because essentially that's what when you're creating a character in Dungeons and Dragons, you roll dice to generate numbers and then you apply those numbers to specific attributes like strength, charisma, intelligence, things like that. So if I give a character a huge number on intelligence and a really no, low number on strength, well we're kind of getting to that you know poindexter type 98-pound weakling that's really smart but a scrawny uh, person. Walking I am along sitting the beach. right here. I, I apologize. Um, but for the sake of informing our audience, we have to use that example. Um, but So you assign those numbers, so you're kind of coming up with the concept of your character before you know why they're like that. So then again, like I said, you can only engage with the, the game so many ways when you're by yourself. So after I would fill out a character sheet, I would start asking myself questions. Why, why does this person have uh, such a high charisma score? Obviously, they have had to engage in public a lot. Maybe they're a performer. Maybe they're a, you know, a court jester or they're a con man, you know, that had to grow up on the streets and con their way into getting just that an amount of sustenance to survive. Immediately you can see Court Jester and Street Bread Con Man, two totally different characters. But what it did was that in concept of somebody who is very charismatic led you back to ask questions to form that character. And then when you develop this rich past... Suddenly, when you go to start your story with this character, you have all these sources to draw on to ask yourself, "What would they do in situation X?" Um, so that I think that the role-playing games really def- define my method of creating characters. Uh, do you guys have anything to add? To oh that yeah, I think yeah th- 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 to support stammering?
2: that. Uh, to use as an example, um, we've all been friends a long time here, and uh, back when we were younger teenagers. Um, I was never really into the Dungeons and Dragons thing, but because you were, I remember there were a few times that we went down to our friend's basement and I (laughs) stuck around and listened to you guys play the game. And even though I wasn't into it, I'd even have characters that had a stake in the game. I would listen to you guys and listen to your characters and describe the scenarios. And I remember you had these phrases, something about expand the visuals and my, my scoopers. And even though I didn't understand that part of it, I would sit and listen to the game play and actually create the scenario in my head. And I could have, you know, those characters, I already saw them from the descriptions you guys were giving, uh, how the game was playing out. And it was almost like a movie that was going on inside of my brain. So, I mean, like the characters would develop that well that, you know, somebody like myself that never played those games, I was still able to sit there and have this whole thing going on in my mind from the descriptions that you guys were building off of.
0: And the takeaway lesson from that is they were believable to you because we'd already done the hard work up front. We'd thought about these characters. We had lived with them for a little while, all in our imagination. But by the time you just happened to stumble in on the game, they were fully developed, rich characters, and it had your buy-in as an audience member. And when you're making a comic book, you want to do the exact same thing. When they crack page one they should be seeing a fully developed character and if you've done your work right and laid that foundation the reader is going to empathize with that character
2: and get drawn into the story oh totally uh th- th- this takes me into something we you know we talked about with the uh when we went to wizard world a few months back and something that i see uh a lot of the uh, independent creators and what they do whenever they develop characters. And I guess kind of goes back to the example you talked about where people put too much of themselves into the characters. It seemed like every book that we were looking at somebody, basically their main character was them with superpowers. They were like, this is what I would be if I was a superhero. This is what I would be if I was the fantasy character. And you didn't really have any reason as a reader or as a fan to buy into it. There was nothing there to connect to because it was really just the creator of the book connecting with themselves well
0: the and the characters a lot of times were one dimensional they
1: didn't and, put in any of their own frailties because they're creating their own character, but they're creating right. an idealized version of themselves on top of having superpowers so there's right. no there's nothing really to relate to unless you're the creator of it
0: right exactly and they because they already know themselves they don't give you all that rich you know exp- uh Kind of backstory. Now you could do that with yourself, but you had, would have to be very open and expose yourself. You know, and hit on every aspect of uh, your childhood. You know, or growing up, your first job, this and that, and the other, to create a sympathetic or empathetic character. Um, but when we're talking about one dimension, I, I can't even say that word right now. I've, <laughs> had, I've had a couple beers, but uh, one-dimensional characters.
1: Oh, I was thinking of One Direction. Never mind. I was like, that's
0: funny. <laughs> You're, I will kill you. <laughs> so uh, somewhere I've noticed this a lot is in the professional wrestling realm uh, when it comes to one-dimensional characters. And I've said this over and over again, and wrestling fans will probably disagree with me and lynch me, but you see all these guys, and they come out, and they've got the long hair, the tattoos, the sleeveless shirt, and pants, and they are just got a grimace on their face, and it's like... What's this guy's character? Oh, he's a, a hardcore dude. Oh, who's he wrestling? Another, Another hardcore, hardcore dude. dude. <laughs> then the next match comes on. Another hardcore dude. And I I don't know. I remember wrestling when I was a little kid had like Doink the Clown. It had, uh, who was the Elvis the, guy? Oh, the Honky Tonk Honky-tonk Man. man.
2: Hulk Hogan it, it, and Ultimate Warrior I mean these guys were straight out of a comic
0: book yeah they were straight out of a comic book but also Ultimate Warrior was very different from Hulk Hogan you know Hulk Hogan was like doing it for the kids doing it for his fans and Ultimate Warrior was just doing it because he's crazy you know and then uh, you had Mach-Man Randy Savage it seemed like he was doing it because he wanted to kind of steal the girl you know right. uh, and, and be the most masculine of the masculine But you had this other cast of characters. Million Dollar Man, that guy was an awesome character.
2: Yeah, I I think when it yeah, if you look at pro wrestling, uh, it it becomes too cookie cutter. You know, and again, comic books have gone through that pattern. And that you know, whenever they were first created, everything was a Superman clone. It was Superman, then Batman, then man man star man something man and they <laughs> all had that man. yeah the plastic man they all had the same outfit and a cape and you know whatever it was that was popular at that time and then uh whether it's wrestling or it's comic books it's kind of like people like to take what's popular and latch onto that instead of uh, going out of their you know boundaries it's just like okay, well, what made Superman work? Let's do that, but just change the name and the colors a little bit. That's what they did in wrestling. Right. Too many guys will go, okay, what's popular on in the indies right now? Oh, to be a guy with, you know, long hair and wear trunks and wrestle Ring of Honor style and not really talk much and be dull and bland. That's cool. Okay, let's do that. They don't really think about. Is that marketable? Is that a gimmick that could connect to the audience and one day get me to the WWE? Yeah. They don't even think about the audience. They're just thinking about, you know, how do I see this character in my own mind again? How, how do I take myself and just blow that up higher but not include my faults instead of how does the audience perceive what I'm doing? Are they going to find myself entertaining? Maybe I need to bring something else. Up. Maybe I take it part of my personality that I don't usually use, you know, take that and turn it up no they're they're just looking through a really distorted mirror,
0: so when it comes to avoiding this kind of one uh dimensionality, what you want to do is kind of take this as a lesson more is more now you can't overdo it, but let's go with that more is more um I remember a character I created for our independent wrestling uh federation was called Gary the Barnell you know oh and, yeah uh when I first created him I'm like Okay, so what this guy is, is he's a wrestler who at some point in time lost his mind and is convinced that he's a barn owl, like an actual, the animal barn owl. And what he does is comes out to the rings and wrestles people because he views that as his nightly hunting his prey because he's got that barn owl mindset. And that was okay. That, that was different than your regular, I'm a hardcore dude. But it was still needed more. And then he got a manager, and this manager was uh, like a crocodile hunter ripoff. But I thought, hey, what if he's not a good guy like the crocodile hunter? What if he's a bad guy? Hmm, what would a diabolical crocodile hunter guy be like? And I thought, let's make him a hypnotist. (laughs) He doesn't actually go for wild animals because that's too dangerous. What he does is he goes around... And he hypnotizes these wrestlers into thinking that they're animals. Oh, yeah. So then, oh, that created a whole different character in but Gary he, the Barnow. He, he because, once
2: hypnotized me into believing I was a chicken.
0: And he hypnotized this uh, guy into thinking he was an aardvark. <laughs> which gave us a wrestler, Eric the Aardvark. But uh, yeah, it changed the bar- Gary the Barnow's character in- from an insane guy to a sympathetic guy, because it's like, oh, he's being mentally held hostage by this crazy <laughs> crocodile hunter wannabe hypnotist. And suddenly it was more interesting. Plus, the skits started to write themselves because we did that background work on the character. Now it's like, oh, obviously, when the crocodile hunter guy comes out, he's going to have to have a pocket watch and he's going to have to swing it around. And now when Gary, the barn owl, comes out, have a moment of clarity right before he gets in the ring, and then he'll turn around like he's going to exit. And then you see the crocodile hunter guy lower down the stop stopwatch, start to swing it, and then you see the barn owl turn back around and go into the ring because
2: he almost remembered he was a man until he got, <laughs> got about that <laughs> part. What's <laughs> it's funny though, because uh, that, that's the thing about wrestling, you know, is whenever we we bring new guys in and you train them and you, you try to drill it into their head that it's like, look, what we're doing out there above all else, it's not being athletes. It's, it's not even just being entertained. that we tell stories as you teach them. Whenever you're putting together a match, you're telling a story in the ring. And it's like, if you've got a guy whose gimmick isn't that great, but they know how to go out there and put on a match that tells just, you know, a hell of a story that can get over. And that's great. But what was, what was awesome was when, when we had started the LWA, the characters you know the, the guys that perform those characters were very very new they were very green and because of that we thought okay they're probably not going to be able to do to do a whole lot in the ring they're not gonna be able to tell a lot of story yet so to make up for it let's give it these very developed characters and that will be what helps them connect with the audience so even though they can't bring it in the ring yet it isn't going to matter because these characters are so well developed that's what's going to get them over and what's funny is that in the beginning whenever these guys were told hey you're going to be a barn owl you know the other guy you're going to be the the european scumbag pierre abernathy deep down like these guys hated it they were like i don't know man this is goofy and what's cool is like i think once they realized look we're doing this to help you connect to the fans because you're still really young you're not quite there in the ring yet and it got to the point they took it and started to to make it their own character they took it and they started adding their own little things to it Absolutely. once they accepted it. And that's what really brought the character out and just took it to that next level. So much to the point that, now that was, what, seven, eight years ago? Ten. maybe Ten, it's ten gonna, years this ago? Will, this will be the 10th anniversary. Oh, my yes. God. Okay, so and that was totally. a lot longer than I thought. So that was 10 years ago. This, those same guys, all right, uh, they go out to, uh, there's a large promotion called Chikara. And if you're any of you are you know indie wrestling fans, don't know exactly what I'm talking about. Chikara loves you know the crazy gimmicks and the comedy Chikara stuff. Chikara is awesome. <laughs> and actually, they are using them as you know the Pierre Abernathy. Well, they call him the Elegant Assassin, not European scumbag. But it's the same gimmick. He's got a monocle and a top hat. And Gary the Barn Owl has a full-on owl suit with the feathers, the mask, wings, everything. Uh, there's another guy that's a Ghostbuster, Davy Vega, and then you've got Evangelistico doing his thing and like Is he
0: still doing the preacher gimmick we gave him?
2: No, no, we oh. we did drop that a while back, but that was my fault. Um But still, like again, they're taking those those same characters that were developed ten years ago. Chikara right. says, Hey, that's what we love over here. We want character development. And they took it and just pushed it to a whole nother level. Oh, I love
0: when... uh in Chicago they have, like, the ant group called the Colony. Oh, yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> reminds me of something that uh, we would have come up with. But, uh, but
2: the, the funny just thing is it, these guys, you know, I mean, they, they wrestle all over the country now, and they're, they're awesome in the ring. They're, they're very well known, and it's like at this point for the wrestling fans, they wouldn't have to use the gimmick at all, and they would get over. They can tell the story in the ring. They can do all that stuff, but... You still, when you got that company like Takara that says, hey, we know you guys can do all that stuff in the ring. We know you can tell the stories. You guys can bring it. But it's those characters that we really want well, you just to bring like out. That's cool awesome.
0: Old WWF with a Doink and Honky Tonk Man, just like I was saying exactly earlier. Correct. But, all right, we're getting super derailed. So. <laughs> Not really. I mean, this is all relevant. But right. so far, to, to kind of bring it home to you, the comic creator, we've talked about Dungeons & Dragons. We've talked about pro wrestling. And hopefully all those Uh, Tools that we used, you've seen that it's the tool and not the result because you can throw this over to comic book characters. Uh, I use these same tools when I approach a comic book character. What I do in my process is I have that fully formed concept first. I just think, okay, what do I want this character to be? And I just start filling out like a list, like I would be a a Dungeons & Dragons character sheet. Like, okay, I want this guy to be overweight I want him to be a workaholic. I want him to be uh, this age. I want him to be either strong or weak. And I just keep going. And I, just, with no, I don't have to have rhyme or reason. You don't have to get caught up in, okay, why? Because you'll do the why later. But this is the character I want in the comic. Now let me explore how he got here. And when I start to explore, that's when I get to know the character. And I write all this down. And I call them background bullets. I'll just put a bullet and I'll be like, All right, he went to school this place. His first job was this. Oh, his first job was working at a fast food restaurant. That's where he first learned how to binge eat. Because at the end of shift, they had leftover chicken nuggets and leftover fries and all this stuff. And he was like, man, I've just been working and I am going to consume more calories than I should. Later on in life, when adversity strikes him, now I realize... That's how he got so fat, is because a bad thing happened in his life and he reverted to this binge eating. Then I asked myself, well, what bad thing happened in his life? Hmm. Well, if he's a workaholic, he probably doesn't have a lot of family ties. Wait a minute. There you go. His wife left him, probably in dramatic fashion, allowing him to both be a workaholic and to trigger that. Uh, quirk of being an overeater so fast forward a couple years and you've got this guy who's really good at his job and really fat and out of shape and because I want him to be a cop oh man now that's that's going to play interesting so now I go to write a story and he's super driven to chase this criminal down an alley but he can't because he gets winded halfway down the alley now the story starts to write itself because the characterization is coming out. Mm-mm. So that's what I do. I just make a list of stuff that I want this person to be, and then I figure out what events led to it. Do do you guys have any input as far as the writing character creation on uh, how you feel about that method?
1: I uh, I think that's pretty much standard fare for everything that I've done research on as far as character creation goes. Um I'm curious since we have, we've talked a lot about Dungeons and Dragons, wrestling, things like that, but we do have a graphic novel. So I'm curious as to what your favorite character was to flesh out in our graphic novel, aside, let, let's say aside from the main character.
0: That's a good question. Actually, the main character is kind of an anomaly because it's, the story is her background. So I only had to throw in a few raw elements for her because you get to see her develop. Um, It's basically her biography. Uh, And I think a lot of times when you come to young characters, it's like, how many, uh, how long of a list could I really write for like my kids right now? You know, my daughter's four. How many different passions does she have in life? Uh, My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, you know, (laughs) that's a that's about
1: that's one i'm and, sure uh, some people listening to this are also friends of my little pony Friendship oh yeah magic. we
0: probably got pl-
2: plenty of bronies I, that are listening
0: that's, it is a pretty awesome show i have if, never uh, seen it i have an excuse to watch it because i have a four-year-old daughter but not that you need that excuse um so th- the point being main character in our gra- current graphic novel uh you're watching her develop favorite character that i've developed well The example I gave already was one of the characters uh, that I developed for a graphic novel with a few uh, changes just for this podcast because I don't want a whole lot of spoilers. Sure. Um, But a character that I've grown really attached to and have plans in the future is another uh, police officer type character. And uh, she's a female, which immediately kind of changes. You know, obviously, this can't be me. You know, I could still make it a Mary Sue, but. Just putting on that it's going to be a female kind of gets you out of your normal comfort zone. you Correct. know, Because you have to start thinking now when you're writing a background, well, a female character faced different things than I did growing up. Um, but what I really liked about her is uh, she is a strong character. So the equivalent of the wrestling hardcore dude. Uh, but... Her, the first half of her life did not start out that way. The first half of her life was horrible. And so it's in her background she almost has her own story arc of uh, coming up through these horrible conditions and how did she transition to being a, a very strong person? So that was fun because I got to I told this story all to myself. It'll probably never see the light of uh light of day as far as telling her backstory in a graphic novel mm-hmm. or in a comic book, but it informs my writing uh, so much. So there's a line of dialogue in uh, just a simple conversation with her partner that reveals something about her backstory that I wouldn't have written had I not known where she came from. So the dialogue would have been kind of stale. Instead you get this very personal moment and some facial expressions they kind of say, "Oh, there's there's more to this situation that as a reader I don't really know about, but it feels like they're real people because it goes deeper." Uh, so she was a really fun character to write, but I, I don't want to spoil too much. So right. um, maybe a few months from now we can start talking more details about our graphic novel.
1: Sure, sounds good. Uh,
0: we're we're kind of we're running, running a little running, long. Running long, but. Because this is a comic book podcast, I want to transition over now. We've got the idea of the character. We've got this backstory. We've got this list of who they are. We've got these bullet points that informs our list. Now I hand it over to you, Sam, as the artist.
2: Where do you start in the creative process now? Oh, as the artist, I'm I'm very lucky in that a lot of this stuff is presented to me. It's already been developed. It's you know the backstory is there. It's kind of this is the character. And if you've got somebody that's, you know, awesome and gives you all the background to it, that makes it even easier, which is something that you did, you know, throughout the story. You were giving me backgrounds on characters that are, like, (laughs) have, like, a very minor role, but it, you know, helps me artistically. I I like to think of myself as the translator at that stage.
0: Like, there's a villain. How many panels does she get so
2: far in what you've drawn? I I think she has a total of three pages.
0: Yeah, I think she has a total of three pages, but... She has a huge backstory that I yes, to
2: you. Yes, I knew everything about this girl's life before I even you know laid down the first sketch. Um, it's kind of funny because I know you you did the blog post uh, earlier that was about you know the Marvel style, which I think honestly that that applied up until like the the late '90s in Marvel, in which the writer would just kind of be like, "Yeah, here's my idea." He'd throw it at the artist. The artist would create everything, and then the writer would take credit for everything. These days, I I don't think that that's the case. These days, the writers detail everything out. So, I mean, by the it's, excuse me, by the time it gets to the artist, it's very similar to what we did. That writer has broke everything down. This is the character. This is what I want. This is where I want to go with it. So, as the artist, very first thing that I have to do is look at what is the tone that we are going for. To me, that's that's crucial. Is this you know comedy? Is it serious? Is it satire? Because how I dress the character, the facial expressions they make, everything about the design, I have to know where we're going with it. You know, if the writer has something that he's going for very serious, I have no idea. I think it's supposed to be funny. And I took his idea and I did it exactly. But the way that I did their hair, maybe the way that I made their the smirk on their face, it just lost the drama that the writer was going for. So knowing that the tone of the story right off the bat is crucial. Next is knowing the entire story. Um... I don't know, like, I'll sit down and read the entire script that's written out before I start putting down sketches of this character at all because I want to see where they're going in the story. Like, it's good to have their background. It's good to have all that. But let's say I give them a certain hairstyle or I give them something and then later on in the story there's an action that happens and it just takes whatever the design and I made it because that made no sense at all.
0: To make that in really simple terms, let's say later in the story a person gets uh, their picked up by their ponytail you know some huge tall right. person picks yeah. them up by their ponytail but up till now you've been
2: drawing them with short hair right with yeah, that's, it that's exactly it with short choppy hair cuz i'm thinking well he we say you know this is their attitude they're the yeah. you know this is the kind of character that have the short hair and then later on I get to that, and I've already done all this pre-sketching, and I'm like, oh, now I just wasted time. Yeah, so, or the detective
0: sits on the bed and gives a heavy sigh because he has to take off his prosthetic leg. Right. And it's like yeah. you drew him in shorts a couple panels back with right. hairy, <laughs> hairy legs. Exactly. On both
2: so reading the full script and seeing, okay, I've got the background of the character. I have a, a bit of a visual, visual form to my head, but now let's make sure that I know exi- where all the story is going so that it makes sense later on. and I don't have to rethink this stuff. Um, after that, it's using my good friend Google. Uh, it's funny cause back in the day, you know, any reference would be, okay, what do I have around my house? Can I look at a mirror? Where's magazines I can look at? What, you know, what can I look in everyday life? Nowadays we have Google, which is great because if let's say there's a character and you go, well, you know, I really had in mind, you know, this certain actress, bam, I can Google the name. Not necessarily that I'm trying to to take that actor, or actress, and you know, make them identical to the character, but there might be certain you know facial features they have, you know, like there's a certain character that you know you had based off of a, off of a movie actress, and it was like her lips and her eye, her eyebrows that I think I wound up taking from it. But uh,
0: well, that also provides a shorthand because what happened was, you know, I kind of had a vague uh, sense of swagger to a certain character, and you said. Well, if you were gonna pick out a Hollywood personality to play this character, who would it be? And I said, "Man, I gotta think about that." You know, and I thought about it a little bit, and then I shot you the name uh, with a couple notes, and what came out was awesome. Right, and, and it, it just creates shorthand uh, to use you know, well-known definitely. People.
2: Cause again, me as the, me as the artist, I want to, okay, I want to take what it is that this writer saw in his head and get it as close as I can to how he saw it. I'm just taking the story now and I'm translating it to, you know, actual visuals on paper. And so I don't like, I don't look at it and go, you know, well, just, Okay, this is this is not to do with our comic book. But let's say you, you said Jennifer Aniston. You know, I would look at that character and go, okay, it's not that he wants me to draw Jennifer Aniston as this character. What is it about Jennifer Aniston's features? You know, is right. there something about her eyes? Is there a certain things she does, and that's what I'm trying to try to capture from it and put that in this character. The other reason why it's you know good for me to go through and look at the background that you've brought out to look where the story's going is uh to capture that drama. And this is something I feel that I did do very well with this is. When you take a character like Akiko and you look at her background coming up, she's obviously not the happiest girl on earth. Okay. It's not like she had a great childhood. There's not a lot going on to why she's gonna smile all the time. There's a certain bit of a, uh, uh coldness, you know, in in her oh, reaction yeah. to things. So whenever I draw her, her her reactions are very subtle. You know, it's like when something happens, she doesn't get too, you know, angry. But when something good happens, she doesn't you know burst into laughter and ha 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 and humongous grins like you would see in some comic books it's like still you want to see that she's reacting in that positive way but it's subtle enough that you still get it that like she holds a lot of that stuff inside yeah and to go
0: back and use another Dungeons and Dragons analogy that's super important in the artwork because I remember one thing I got trained in Dungeons and Dragons is you had to pick like it was your character a good guy a bad guy or a guy that didn't really care uh or a gal that didn't really care um and when you play the game you're like oh I caught the crook that stole my gold coins I'm going to bash him in the face with a hammer right. and you said hey you're the guy that just rescued all those kids from the burning orphanage earlier uh, <laughs> when everybody else said it was foolhardy Right? are you really going to do that? Are you are really going to bash this guy in the face? and it teaches you those kind of things to think in terms of your character and it sounds like that's exactly what you still have to do with the artwork is like hey you know, my character doesn't grin from ear to ear when they smile. Right. You know, um, because they're more subtle. And that's a great way to... And I don't think that I appreciate that enough when it comes to an artist's job. But So it's good to hear that from you.
2: Now, one, now to go back to just actual character development, and, you know, one part where I do get to have, you know, a little more freedom is you know when you write out a scene it's not like you have to put down okay and on this day she's wearing this exact clothing and this is what everyone yeah, I mean, around you her could, has on. but i don't and and it's good that you don't because that you know that's a detail that would just that's too much time on your hands and that's something you shouldn't have to do um <clears throat> sorry So as an artist, it's up to me to look at, okay, I have a character and she is a, you know, specific age range. She goes, you know, there's a geography, everything that's going on that's going to, uh, determine what she's going to be wearing. You know, you tell me, okay, this scene is happening in the fall time. So automatically I go, okay, I know what she's going to be wearing. It's not going to be, you know, a heavy coat, but it's also not going to be just a short sleeve shirt and shorts. And then from there, I go, and I look and go, well, what's popular right now? You know, I, I'll you know, go online, Google latest, you know, teen fashions, or uh, luckily in the in the job that I have, I, I get to uh, interact with teenagers a lot, and I get to talk to them and find out, you know, what is cool right now? What are you guys wearing? Is our character the type of person that would wear something cool? Yeah. Would she be a little more bland? But
0: Well, uh, again, you have to do that uh, same kind of reference, even if it's not a modern-day character in fact that's kind of harder research i remember we were developing some costumes for some period piece ninjas and it's like okay if this was a a ninja that was there at the you know height of feudal japan they right. would dress this way but let's say the ninja clan survived for like 100 more years well that would change their outfit you know so it, it's not just modern day you have to worry about doing research for it's a or even superhero costumes i'm sure you'd probably use some references for that wouldn't you
2: oh yeah totally because i mean you want things to make sense again you don't just do it because it would look cool again that's you know the 90s the 70s that's earlier in comics before they worried about having such a wide range of people to appeal to and you know connecting with people (laughs) of a little bit higher intelligence than a four-year-old uh but making sure that things make sense, you know, not just let's put pockets all over their uniform just because. Hey, are you, uh, you back off Rob
0: Liefeld right now? <laughs> that dude did the Attitude Era of comics. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, we're running a little bit long on time, so I'd like to wrap it up with a, a final thought. Don't forget, if you're a writer or an artist, that comic books are a collaborative medium. And I think we've made that mistake in the past where it's like, I'm done writing the script. This character is no longer gets any input from me or vice versa. You know, um, it's like, okay, I got these words and let me go ahead and put them on the coffee table and then let me just go draw what I want to draw. So it's uh, you can still talk to each other. Over the period of creating the character, whether it be the artist talking to the writer while he's still thinking of the background, he could say, you know what, this would look really cool. Can you incorporate that into this character's background? Oh, yeah, I can do that. She can totally have a reason for that. Or when the artist is drawing and he adds something or she adds something that's out of the realm of the character, the writer can definitely go ahead and collaborate and kind of pull back a little bit and say... You know, this character is supposed to be overweight. Why do you keep drawing them with a six-pack, you know, every time? It, it's, it's a nice, round, pot-belly-type six-pack, but still, they, right. they wouldn't have that. Uh, and those are just some goofy examples, but don't forget the character creation is a collaborative medium, and that's really going to bring richer, fuller characters than it would if someone was just doing it alone, and that's something that's a blessing and should be looked on positively
1: you guys agree I agree All right.
0: well with that
1: we want to thank you for listening we're Show Me Comics and we're wishing you the best in your creative endeavors
0: and for more information and to check out some of our characters visit www.showmecomics.com and that's comics with a C-S because we know how to spell
2: yes and make sure you go to our Facebook page which is facebook.com slash novel and like our page. And you can follow us on Twitter at ShowMeComics. And
0: if you follow us, please, for future podcasts, send us some questions and we will answer them on the show. Just send that to our Twitter account.